Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the Special Needs Podcast. Each week, we're talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools, and to empower parents. In a world where there's less guidance, less money, more demand, and continual changes, teachers, SENCOs, and leaders need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives, and the SENCAST is the answer. In this episode, our guest is Lorraine Peterson, OBE. She has over 25 years' experience as a teacher and her teacher. She has also been the CEO of Nascent, and Lorraine has received an OBE for her services to education and now works as a consultant as well as many other roles. Lorraine will be talking about how schools can support pupils with SEND transition from primary to secondary. This can be a very challenging time and needs to be managed. Before we start the podcast, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference that B Squared also run that started in 2019 and makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. We run the conference twice a year over the internet so it's always available because we record everything, which makes it a lot more accessible. So for more information on the conference, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. Welcome to the show, Lorraine. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me and good afternoon to everybody. So primary schools and secondary schools are very different and it's a big change going from primary to secondary. My daughter's school, primary school was 200, secondary school, 200 pupils per year. And this can cause a lot of anxiety for students and can have wider effects. How important is it that primary and secondary schools work together to help prepare pupils for transition? Okay, so I think it's very important (laughs) and should not be left to two weeks before the end of term in July. (laughs) I think it's something that should be ongoing. And I think that there are lots of reasons why schools don't do lots, but I think they need to make the time to do it. We need to be thinking about it almost from the day that parents hear about which secondary school their child is going to go to. It's just happened, so that's sort of February time. So, you know, it, it should it should have started now, and I'm very aware with coronavirus that there are probably other things happening and transition will not be on the cards. But I think with children who've got, with special education needs and disability, it's really, really important that they get to know what is going to happen and what changes there will be. I think they're already in an anxious state because SATs are coming up. They may be anxious about SATs. They may be going to a school that wasn't their parents' first choice. And so therefore, you know, some of their friends might not be going to the the same school or it was their parents' first choice. And again, it's not a school their friends are going to. It may be that they've got an education, health and care plan. They're moving to a special school. So that might be very different as well. So I think as soon as everybody's notified of the school that that has been chosen and and where they're going to go, there needs to be a very focused transition programme for pupils, especially for those with special education needs and disabilities. So I think sometimes... It's, there's anxiety of where you're going, but there's also anxiety of where you're leaving. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, they, they have spent seven and eight years at their primary school. Many children don't move that primary school unless they've gone from an infant to a junior or, you know, they've moved house. So most children have been in the same school since nursery. They've had the same friends since nursery. They have lived very close to the friends that they've got because they tend to be in the same catchment area. And so that anxiety around just leaving all that behind, I think that they, you know, they've been very well nurtured in primary school. So every single year, just one teacher, you know, taught them everything. They've stayed in the same classroom, mostly. Yeah, so each year they move classrooms, but actually they know that school, they know the layout, they know where to get to the hall, they know what they have to do at lunchtime for dinners, they know what playground looks like and what they can and can't do out on the playground. They might have even been looking forward to getting older because they know they get that that privilege at that school or they get to sit at the bench in assembly. Absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's, there's all of that. And then... They may have siblings that have gone to the school that they're going to, so they've got stories from the siblings. 
They may not have anybody at the new school, so they've got nothing at all. They may have heard things that maybe they don't like hearing. So I think there's all sorts of anxieties that sit around that transition, whether it be leaving the security of the primary school behind or they may actually be really looking forward to the secondary school and the move and they're ready for it. But actually, am I going to get lost? And will I know where science is when I've been in history? And, you know, is, who's going to be there to help me? And, you know, what's it going to be like moving around the school with a thousand other children moving? And, you know, am I going to get, you know, my school lunch because I, you know, I've heard that the year sevens are always last in the queue and I only like certain foods. So, and it's also yeah. you going from the biggest in the school to oh, a small absolutely. child with so, some really big year 11s. Absolutely. So you have been, you know, the top dog. You've probably been a prefect or, a, you know, a buddy or, you know, lots of primary schools have that for year six. And as you say, you're going to be the baby. And yes, you think you're big and grown up, but actually there's some much bigger and much more grown up boys and girls in that school. So yes, it's 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 a huge, a huge change, even for pupils that don't have a great deal of anxiety or worry or concern. I think secondary schools do a good sales pitch. When you go look at the secondary schools, there's lots to look forward to. Yeah. But it's the unknown because it is different. Yeah. And I think one of the things for me is that if if when you go for those look rounds with parents and yeah, that's probably in year five and you go to look at your schools, they're putting on a good show because obviously they want you there. I think if they make it very clear that pupils who have got additional needs are very welcome and we have a learning support department and this is our Senko, come and talk to them. I think that will ease parents' concerns. It will ease the young person's concerns. I do consider that there are still schools that maybe don't make SEN children as welcome maybe as they ought to and you know see them as being a bit of a problem and Does that be the schools where the league tables are very it's important? possibly the schools where the league tables are very important but you know the language that they might use like we're not sure we'll be able to meet the needs of your child or you know we, we haven't really got anywhere that your child could go if they were having difficulties those might sit in that child's head thinking you know and it might be that the parents have no other option that is the local school it's the one that they have to send their child to and we've also got parents who maybe don't go to those open days who maybe don't have the skills to make those choices so they they maybe don't even put in the request for a place so they you know they get left out and then it's what's left at the end of it or sometimes if you've got an older sibling who's gone to that school, I don't need to go. I know that school. Yeah, it's absolutely. A- yeah, we've, we've been we've been doing that for four years, five years, whatever. So we don't have to go on that those open days and things. So but that's very different because that's for, actually for your child, not for you. Absolutely. And, and yeah, your child needs to go and look around and start to get the, the feel of that place. And, and, you know, going to two or three, I think is, if you've got that opportunity is really important because as a parent and as a pupil, you get to feel the ethos and, you know, what that school is going to offer for you as a, as a family, but also for, for your child. So for me, that transition starts with those year five pre-meeting, open days, open evenings, whatever they're called, and how you portray your school, whether you're the head, whether you're the Senko, whether you're a member of teaching staff, how do you show your school as a school that welcomes all pupils. Yeah. And and that for me is is where it first starts. I do know that there are schools that then in year five, pupils get the opportunity to go to a science day or a languages day. So, you know, they get an, a feel of particular subjects and that might not be the school they end up at. But again, it's giving them that opportunity to feel that subject or, or you know, be part of a different world. But I think that as soon as those decisions are made about where that child is definitely going to go, then transition planning should start. And it isn't just about secondary schools. It has to be two-way. So the receiving setting, so the secondary school needs to be prepared. But for me, the primary feeder schools need to pave the way. Yeah. So it, it's a two, it has to be a two-pronged attack, if you like. I know a lot of feeder schools who wait for the secondary schools to lead they wait to get the dates of the, you know, the, the days. But I do know primary schools that try and lead and, you know, will say to the secondary school, this particular youngster needs to come at least five times before they actually start, you know. But 
it does depend on the Senko and the relationship you've got. I also know that, you know, some schools, you know, feed from maybe two primaries and that's it. Whereas there are others, especially church schools, where there might be 15 or 16 schools within the diocese. And, you know, it's one or two pupils that go from each school. So, again, it's the geography. It's the logistics of getting young people there. But they should not be barriers. If, if there's a child that needs to have that additional support in transition, then, you know, that's what they need. I also think that we need to think about the big change from the primary curriculum to the secondary curriculum. And is there a way that we can do an overlap? So, again, I've seen some really good practice where secondary schools actually run a primary curriculum for year seven. So they maybe don't go to different teachers for all subjects. They maybe have the same teacher for maths, English and science, and then maybe somebody for PE. And so it's it's a bit different from primary, but it's not totally different. I've also seen models where the year sixes actually move into their secondary school straight after SAT. So after the half term, because the year 11s have left the secondary school. So the primaries then move up to their secondary school. So they have a half a term of sort of having a primary curriculum, but within the secondary school. So they can start to get used to food tech room or the science laboratories and they get to use, you know, the equipment that they'll be using. And I've seen that work really well. And I've seen other schools where there is one day and that's it. And, you know, where pupils are just expected to get themselves to their new school, turn up on time, and that's it. So I've seen, you know, lots of things. I don't know which ones I prefer, but I think that, you know, very clearly that the, the primary Senko has got a role to play with the secondary Senko in, in making some of that happen. And in reality, the primary Senko is more key because they are aware of the challenges of their pupils. You Absolutely. always say, you don't know what you don't know. And that secondary Senko... Yeah doesn't know what's no. coming and you can have the best records in the world you can have the biggest folder full of paperwork that tells you everything about a particular child and their needs that cannot be replicated by an hour's conversation face to face no because you you can talk about the little idiosyncrasies or the things that challenge or the things that work that you can't always put onto paper or you know actually acknowledge that you know, this particular youngster needs this particular way of working or so for instance a child that one of their anxieties might be around you know everybody moving around the school at the same time thousand children more maybe and you know somebody that's got a, a bit of anxiety around crowds and people having that conversation with the secondary school so the secondary school can maybe allow that pupil to move two or three minutes before you know, the rest of the group. So they're actually at the next lesson before the crowds come. Reasonable adjustment doesn't cost any money, but actually could make such a difference. Sometimes that might only be a temporary thing. It Once they've be. got that confidence Absolutely. of knowing or where to go. They've actually found the friend who they're in history with, who will take them to science or walk with them to science. But again, it's that, you know, it's who, who am I going to walk with? What, am I, what, what happens if I get lost? What happens if I need the toilet on the way? You know, and I need to, and, and all of those things that, as you say, once you get into those routines, the anxiety may reduce. It may not, but for some it may. And so therefore it isn't forever. And, you know, again, Senkos need to be monitoring that. And again, I've known Senko, primary Senkos who have actually kept in contact for the whole year. So they've had regular meetings with the secondary Senko They've gone and met the young person in the school to find out how they're getting on. And then, you know, they've met with the Senko to find out, have there been any anything that, you know, I can help you with? Because, you know, maybe we hadn't thought about that when we had that initial conversation. That makes a lot of sense because it is when you've got that child comes to your school, meet them the first time, starts things going wrong. Absolutely. The best person to call is that primary Senko. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... When you can, if you've got the, the youngster in the secondary school in the first week, two weeks, and, you know, maybe it's just that it's the his, history lesson or, geography, you know, might be just one lesson that's causing them real grief. And then, you know, just talking to primary Senko who might just say, actually, when they, they didn't like history in primary school either. So, you know, they, they can't not do it, but is there a way that we can prepare them a bit more for, for those lessons? And, 
you know, it might be that they're playing up in a particular lesson. It might have nothing to do or no reflection on that lesson. It might be because they're worrying about what's next or they've got PE after lunch and have they bought the right kit or, you know, at lunchtime, they had a bad, bad lunchtime yesterday because somebody pushed them out the queue and they didn't get the, you know, all the rest of it. So that, that worry is perpetuated for, yeah. you know, that next day. And, and it's, it, it's, it's just finding out. And I think the other thing that's important is to make sure that the young person has got somebody they can go to. So it may not be the Senko because they may not, you know, have the time. But if there is a learning support department, there might be you know, a TA or a, a support teacher who's always based in the support centre. So they know that there's always somebody they can they can go to, especially around times when there's no structure. So break times and lunch times, because they can be real challenges. I was about to say with about because in primary school, break time, it's unstructured. Yeah. But there's lots of, at that age, there's lots of smaller children. Yeah. And there's not a huge amount. Absolutely. And there is the, you know, where, where teachers know that youngsters struggle, they will keep them in. You know, they'll, they'll give them something to do at playtime or, you know, they've reduced the amount of time they're outside at, at lunchtime. So they might only have to be out 10 minutes or whatever. Whereas, of course, in a secondary school, if the lunch area is three quarters of an hour, and you're eating for 15 minutes, you've got half an hour, and then there's certain places you can go, certain places you can't go. That, you know, the big boys play football on that field, so you can't go on that field. And it's known all of those social situations that take time. It and might be that the year sevens are in this area, but there's lots of reflections from glass, which... Yeah, absolutely, or the noise. You know, the, the large dining hall might actually... It's just not appropriate. So, again... Is there an alternative place that they can go and eat their lunch? And again, lots of secondary schools use their learning support department um, and they can go and take their packed lunch or, you know, whatever into there. And it's much quieter and and much more calm for them. And then they can often use computers or catch up with their homework or, you know, whatever. And there's always an adult in there or more than one adult. And so they're not on their own, but they're not out in that. Yeah, big expanse outside where they're not really sure how to act and who to interact with. Now, I think one of the issues you mentioned earlier about um, having a big folder and a one hour's meeting can't replace yeah. a big folder. But the problem with big folders is that's a lot of content. Absolutely. And um, I, I know lots of schools, when they get a big folder from the primary previous school, they'll just go, that's too much and yeah. never look at it. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, yeah, one of the things I just want to mention here is you know, a lot of stuff can go electronically now because a lot of stuff gets scanned into documents and you know, you can just you can just send everything electronically um, and that's safe and it's secure and and you know most most meet GDPR. The issue with paper, of course, is that if it gets in the wrong hands. So we have to make sure that it is actually transferred Secure. by hand, really, yeah. securely. If not, if it is sent by post, it needs to be signed for. And even if it's handed over hand, you know, hand-to-hand, face-to-face, primary schools still need to get a signature to say that the secondary school has received all of that paperwork. You should keep SEN paperwork until the young person is 30. So it's 25 plus 5. So whoever is the last provider of the education will have that final paperwork. Now, over time, that's not going to happen because it will all be electronic. But at the moment, primary schools really need to make sure they've got a pro forma that sits at the front of that folder and is signed for by the secondary centre to say they've received everything. But as you say, that might be, you know, speech and language therapy um, letters from when they were in nursery. (laughs) And actually, yes, it's good reading, but I'm afraid I haven't got time to read it at the moment. You have to to transition that folder for legal reasons. You do have to transition it, yes. But in reality, you should probably have a separate document of here's a one-page profile. Here's our things. We've sat and brainstormed and what they might find different. That sort of stuff. Useful, really direct. Up-to-date stuff. That actually that is what they need to yeah. think about now. Yeah, and, and I think you also need uh, stuff around the curriculum, especially children that haven't done SATs because there will only be teacher assessment. Yeah. So, you know, what, what have they studied? So, you know, where are they in maths? Where are they in English? So, again, that secondary school has got a, a baseline. A lot of secondary schools, I know, will test them as soon as they come back in. And, again, that can be an issue because I've also seen secondary schools that do all of those tests on the pre-visits in July, yeah. which, again, 
will be anxiety ridden because you don't actually get to look around the school. You just get to sit in a hall and do tests. Yeah. So if you know you've got tests and, and you're anxious about tests, you'll be anxious. But then there's no time to look around the school. So you've got the anxiety looking around the school. So, you know, I think secondary schools need to think carefully about when they are going to do those tests, if they're going to do them and, and how they're going to do them. Because, you know, everybody sitting in a hall in rows may not be the ideal place for some, some youngsters. A lot of those tests are done online on computers. Yeah, now. they might be, yes. So again, they're, if they're standardised sort of CATS-type tests, then yes, they would be. So then the primary school's got to help that secondary school out by telling them which children yeah. are able to access that uh, test absolutely. and who will need support. And who will need yeah, absolutely, yeah. And again, thinking about then how do they set from day one. So, you know, you, you, your SCN kids are always going to be in the lower ability sets. And, and is that right? Because you often get pupils that have got learning difficulties, but actually are, will get on with their work. They don't disrupt all the rest of it. Mixing in with pupils that have got significant behaviour challenges for whatever reason, might be mental health, or, you know, and that might not be a good mix either. <laughs> but I also so, think, especially talking about setting from the start, but it's even a big thing because if you go to a primary school and you've got six really good friends, and you're all going to the same secondary school, that's going to be really happy until you turn up and find out that none of them are in your class yeah. or registration group yeah, or they're in different sets. Yeah. And that's, that's a sort of, again, getting used to that. Yeah. And how do you prepare children for that? Yeah. I don't, I don't know when schools make those decisions. Well, but... it depends. I think it depends on the cats test. So if they've done them before the summer holidays, those decisions will all be made from day one. If they do them in that first week, it might be half term before. So again, you've got used to being in a particular group with a particular group of people and then suddenly you get moved again. So you need to think about that. I think my daughter found out what tutor group she was in before the summer holidays. Yes. So she was... went in knowing yeah. and she met her class. Right. And I think most of them were new, but she knew some other child yeah. through some external activities. Yeah. But it she knew what to expect. to expect. Absolutely. And I think if they're going to be in a tutor group and they need to meet their tutor, because that's going to be the first person they see probably for registration. And that's probably going to be a go-to person for any support they might need in terms of, you know, social, emotional, mental health or any difficulties they're having. And I also think that it's really important that parents are involved as well, because we need to make sure that not only parents at those parents' evenings or the open evenings, but actually parents know the layout of the school. Parents can help the pupil you know, if they send a map home. So parents can actually say, well, look, if you're in science, how are you going to get to history? That, that sort of thing. And so parents are preparing their pupils. I think there's a whole big thing around uniform. And, you know, some, some youngsters who are often on the autistic spectrum have got difficulties with certain materials next to their skin or certain, you know, they can't wear lace-up shoes or whatever. That's not about them being naughty or not wanting to do it. Yeah. It is purely about a sensory thing. And again, I think that that all needs to be sorted out before, you know, parents go out and buy expensive uniform and clear it with the school that that is going to be okay. So on the first day, they're not sent home because they're wearing the wrong uniform. <laughs> which, you know, you hear about all yeah. the time on social media. I think I think schools generally are getting a bit more relaxed these days. I yes. think it is getting better. I think, yeah. especially in PE, there's more choice. Yeah. It's as long as they're these trousers or a skirt of this. Yeah. Like, generally, they're generally... But I think with schools which have blazers, that's quite a yeah a new experience. Absolutely. And, and you know, schools are quite hot places. And, and I know schools that do have blazers where they're not allowed to take them off. You know, and if you're, if again, if you've got a sensory issue to heat or cold, that's not helpful either, you know. Or if you if you can't monitor your own temperature. Yeah, yeah. If you can't self-regulate. Yeah, self-regulate your temperature, then, you know, but, you know, and you can't take your blaze off and you're absolutely baking, again, you're not in a good position to learn because your, your body temperature is in the wrong place. I know that there's quite a lot of movement at the moment about uniform that ha can only come from one supplier. Because obviously for some parents that can be very, very expensive, yeah. um, you know, and they want to be able to use Georgia Asda or whatever at Tesco's or, you know, M. Marks and Spencer's. But actually they've got to have it from a particular shop. And I think that's that can be for disadvantaged pupils and vulnerable pupils. That can be quite a, a struggle, especially yeah. if they, you know, they haven't got the the right 
thing that they're wearing. So I think because a lot of primary schools are quite flexible with their uniforms. Absolutely. Well, they tend to be a polo shirt and a a sweatshirt or a you know a cardigan or something like that. And if it's not quite the right shoes, it's generally it's quite flexible. Yeah. As long as they're black or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And. They're black trousers, but they don't have to be a particular make or whatever. You, often so. you go to a secondary school and there might be a senior leader at the front gate yeah. watching every child oh, yeah. come in. I can't remember. I remember on Twitter last year there was one particular school and I think something like 56 children had been sent home, not just from year seven, but across the board. For some mal uniform. It's you know, the uh, halfway between a trainer and a, sh- and a, yeah, and a that, shoe. Yeah, that's, yeah. And, and, you know, for some families, that's all they could afford. Or you've, I think you've just, we've just got to be careful. I mean, you know, I know pitched, I know kids will try it on and I know they'll be the ones that want to wear the really expensive Nike trainers and, you know, and I know why they want school uniform because it tries to break down some of those social barriers. But I think then putting a child, you know, up on a pedestal and out because something wasn't quite right can also have a detrimental effect as well. There's a whole following rules thing in the, in the midst of there of, and it is, there is learning to follow rules, yeah. but it's, it has to be reasonable adjustments. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and secondary schools have got to accept that, you know, that for some youngsters that's not going to work and, and we need to. I think one of the other ways I haven't mentioned yet, which I think can be really helpful, is if secondary senkos go into the primary school to observe the pupils in the classroom. Yeah. So they can get to know them in a, in a classroom situation and can see the sort of environment that they might need to to work at their best. So I think that's a, a really good one. And the other thing that ve- can be very different at secondary is homework. I know lots of primary schools give homework nowadays, but actually in secondary schools, you might have a homework diary. You might have a certain amount of time to do your homework whereas in primary you know you're giving it on a tuesday night it's back on a wednesday or whatever so again for pupils that are organization skills are not that good you know it, it, it that can be quite a challenge i, th- I think it is I, I think my daughter's school are finally moving to a more digital base but she's right. had a, a, a diary yeah homeschool diary type thing yeah. where a wife signs it every week my signature looks so bad, apparently. Yeah. Well, she almost got detention because I signed it one week because that couldn't have been a parent's signature. <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, so my wife has to sign it. But that, as you said, the homework comes in on different days. Yeah. It's due different days. Right. Um, and then there's times which cause us all anxiety because, have you done your homework yet? It's like, no, the teacher hasn't actually put the worksheet up for yeah, us to that's do. Right, yeah. But they are moving to an online system. What's great about those online systems is it's easy for parents to get involved and support. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Print out and bigger font yeah. and various it does, things. It does rely on the, the home having the necessary technology to be able yeah. to do that. And again, schools have to remember that that's the case. But I think that that planning and that, you know, being in the right place at the right time and having the right equipment is is something that for some youngsters does come as a shock. I think in primary school, and this is, I'm being very generalist and it's not happening everywhere, but I still think it happens in some places. We still have one-to-one support for some young people who, you know, they will make sure they've got their pencil, they've got their book, they've got their, you know, and actually we're not doing them any favours. No. Because when they end up at secondary school, they may still be getting some one-to-one support, but it won't be about getting their pencil out and getting their book out. It will be about learning. It will be about curriculum. It will be about making sure that they are safe and they're where they need to be. I, I did find it interesting. My, my daughter's school, we part through the thing, there was a piece of paper we were given before the summer saying before each lesson, or things you can do to help your child get ready for secondary school. Mm-hmm. And what it seems like they can tell the time in both digital and analog. All these, I'm literally going, these are really basic steps. Yeah. And you sit there going, okay, who can't yeah. do, who, how hasn't this become a basic yeah. skill? It, it, it just, it's not probably not just the SN, there are probably lots of children yeah. who are going to that school yeah. who have been, I think, helicopter parenting, drop yeah. in, yeah. fix it, yeah. drop out again. Yeah. Parent, child doesn't have to think. No. And have always had digital watches, so why do they need to learn analog time and yeah, you know, all that sort of stuff? I think there's there's issues around um, money, you know. So a primary school, if they pay for school meals, they bring that on a Monday, give it to the teacher. So who do you give it to at a secondary school? Well, is there a? I mean, lots of places have machines that you put it into, or there's a secretary, you know, an admin person that does it. If you free school meals, how do they know? How do they make sure that you're not 
you know, oh, well, all free school meals going first. Well, you know, you don't want to be labelled in no. that way, you know. How do you know who goes in first, who goes in second? Is there a rotor? How often does the rotor change? So how do you know when you need to be in the dining hall to have, have your lunch? If you take packed lunch, you know, is there another room to go to for packed lunch? Um, is there a tuck shop so I can they can buy things? Mobile phones, are they allowed to take their mobile phone in? Can, it, can they use it? Obviously, in the proper way. Can they keep it in their pocket but they mustn't bring it out? Does it have to go in the office? I mean, there's all sorts of those rules and regulations that probably don't occur in primary because pupils don't have the phone at school because parents take them to school so they don't need it for safety, where, of course, as soon as they go to secondary, often they're on their own. So parents want them to have their phone in case there's a problem, yeah. you know, coming into school or going home from school. But then, you know, can they keep it <laughs> hidden for the rest of the day? How do they keep it safe? How do yeah. they make sure that their bag, you know, is safe? Yeah, if, if they leave it somewhere. It's, it's that travelling around the school yeah. and remembering everything, the, um, watching how many PE kits get lost or found. Yeah. And, and and again, you know, if you've all got the same colour sweatshirt or T-shirt, whatever it is, and, and one gets lost at PE or whatever, how, how is, are your name, is your name in it? Or is that a baby thing to do, putting a child's name in it? Yes, and then you've yeah. got um, anxiety around germs. Yeah. And, and even more so at the moment. Because in, in, when you're in primary school, you're one classroom, one yeah. set of toilets. You yeah. learn to trust and how yeah. to do things. Go to secondary school. Yeah, and I hear of children who will not use the toilets at school, whether it's for, you know, one thing or another. And they'll wait all day till they get home. My nephew will go to the toilet, he'll wash his hands, and then he'll wait inside the toilets for someone to open the door. He won't touch the door. No. And everything you give, I'll give him a pack of wipes, then my yeah. wipes, it's just there's no way around yeah, it. No. But then again, you know, that can lead to medical issues if they, they're not using the toilet. Yeah. And, and again, there could be a reasonable adjustment that actually there's a, a disabled toilet that, you know, they will use because nobody else is using it or very few people. So they can go and use that. Yeah. You know, but if they don't tell people and, and you don't find those things out, then, you know, it's it's really difficult. And it could be a, a year before a parent finds out yeah. that they haven't been going to the toilet at all during the school day and they've got a urine infection. Well, I'm not surprised because, you know, or they don't have a drink because they then won't need to go to the toilet. And, you yeah. know, can they have drink? Can they have water? Um, can, can they have squash in it? You know. <laughs> Can they refill the, are they, is, is the, does the child fill the water in the water fountain is clean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots and lots of things, which, you know, hopefully if you, if the primary school is sending up a pupil profile and then the secondary school is maybe sitting down with that pupil and going through that profile and updating it, then you've got the information you need from the, the feeder school and from the young person themselves. So one thing I think which is very different for parents, as I said, in primary, you walk to the school, you talk to the parents yeah. while they collect, and you, your child goes in. Yeah. Generally, lots of communication, yeah. you can sync. When you go to secondary school, your child may walk on their own or however not, but you're not going to sit and meet the class teacher at the door. No, absolutely. And then it's from a parent's point of view, it's how do I communicate with the school? So do I email? Do I send a note? Do I text? You know, what, what is the communication necessary? How do I let the person know that needs to know that something happened last night to my son or daughter? And, and for me, that would be about having one person who, and it could be the tutor, the form tutor, it could be the head of learning support, it could be the Senko, but then you would hope that that person would then pass on yes. the relevant knowledge to any teacher that would need to know that during that particular school day. That's, that's quite, uh, when you think of the number of pupils and the number of teachers, oh, involved, that is a big it's, task. It's a big task, yeah. And some schools do it really well. My yeah. daughter's school, I'm really impressed with when you have an issue, you either contact the teacher or you contact the head of year. Generally, they get back to you really quickly. You yeah. have, might even have a phone call and the teachers are told, we've yeah. covered, and it, it, it's amazing. Actually, yeah. it works really. Other schools, school my nephew goes to, it really doesn't work. No. Their, their, their choice of communication, which is shocking, is they have a home homeschool book just yeah. for just for SEN, not it's not his no. diary, not his homework diary, a different homeschool book. And my sister might write in it, um, horrible evening, due to anxiety, had a migraine all evening, really not happy, blah, blah, blah. And he'll take that to school. And the Senko will look at that at the end of the day. And the Senko will ask him how his day was. 
And because his friends are waiting for him, he'll just give every answer as the quickest way to get out yeah, of there. Yeah, because he wants to get out. So none of the teachers throughout that day knew what was going on, oh. how to support him or anything, because yeah. it was done in paper. Yeah. And we suggested email, because yeah. you can send Flick it to that person. Forward. Forward. Great, easy. But yeah. they always refused, and it was shocking. And he ended up becoming a school refuser for various reasons. But it is um, for those children with SEN, making sure they get that support yeah. that day yeah. early on is really crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if they're not in the right place to learn, going to maths at nine o'clock <laughs> without that maths teacher knowing anything, yeah. you're, setting them, you're setting them up to fail. Straight and, detention, and, yeah, things that happen and, yeah, and and, for and, no fault of that child. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, lots of secondary schools now do have, like, recording things on, on for, well, it's usually for safeguarding, so something like CPOMs, yeah. but actually you can put lots of other information on there and then you can tag which teachers need to know and that will then come up in their sort of email that there's something they need to go and look at immediately. So if that's part of the culture of the school, it works. That's but if hit. it's not the culture of the school, then it can be the middle of the afternoon and somebody sees something and thinks, oh, I should have known that this morning. Oh, that explains so, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've still given him attention. I've given yeah. him to, I just got to have it now. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, you know, it, it, it is about whole school systems and knowing knowing the pupils and knowing, you know, what's coming in from home as well. And again, often everything goes through the admin office and again, they're very busy, so it might be that the phone call comes in at 10 to 9, but actually it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock before that message then gets out again. So again, it's it's having one person that you know will be able to share that information. So one area I want to talk about, which I know um, EHCPs, they work so well. Yeah, yeah, excellently. <laughs> um, so at some point, the child will have an annual review in year six. Yep. And then they're going to have an annual review in year seven. Yeah. Complete disconnect. Yeah. Unless the Senko from the year seven goes to the year six annual review, which is what I would say should happen. But the problem is so, you don't know which school they're going well, to. Well, not until if it's after. March. I mean, what I would do personally is if the annual review was due to be in, say, December, I would move it so that it was after the date when you've got the, the score and then invite the Senko to the annual review because yep. deferring the annual review by two, three months isn't going to make the end of the difference, but it means you can then have the relevant people from the feeder school at that annual review, which means that that, that education, health and care plan then can be amended if necessary to reflect the secondary score and the way that they work. Yeah. And what you would hope then is that the local authority would amend the plan in time for September when that child enters the new school. What I would say is that, and this is something I, I see frequently, every single teacher who teaches that pupil needs to have access to that EHC plan. I would say more than that. There's not only access, be very big signposts yeah. pointing <laughs> big to arrows. it <laughs> with photos. And almost, almost literally because you might have a folder full of 150 HCPs. A teacher yeah. needs to be told these are the three yeah. you need but to read. They, they could, they, I mean, they can all be online. You can scan them in very quickly. You can send to, you know, the history department. All of these children in year seven will have an EHCP. The head of history then looks at the class list and says, right, this you need to look at the, you know, you need to access to this. And then they need to read that before they even meet the child. But that's the Senko's job. No, it isn't. It's the teacher's <laughs> job. The Senko needs to make sure that they've, they're, they're out there, but the teacher needs to make sure that they know what is written in the EHCP because the outcomes that are written in the plan should be, they should be working towards in their subject whatever those outcomes are. Every teacher is a teacher of every pupil. I should play a bingo game with you on that one. <laughs> but it, it's it's one of those, I, I, I swear, I think if you surveyed some secondary schools on how many children do you have in your class that you teach with the HCPs, yeah. you know, most of them will probably say don't know what their targets don't know. Yeah. And it's, it goes back to culture. Yeah, goes absolutely. Back to and, and it goes back to on that first day, well, either before the end of term or on that first day in September, there should be some time during 
the first day, second day, however many days they have training, when SEN is on the training program. So, you know, even if it's only a couple of hours, so that the Senko can bring everybody up to speed with how many pupils we've got coming in with an EHCP, how many pupils we've got in year eight, year nine, year 10, because there's new staff there, you know, who they are. So if you're teaching these children, this is where you'll find their EHCPs. This is where you'll find their one-page profile or their passport because it'll be attached to that, that particular record. You need to read that. And then there needs to be some checkup yeah. whether that's by senior leads or Senko, that, and, and systems can do this, where you can see that somebody has been in and they have read it <laughs> and they've made some comment or something. Because to me, how can you teach a child who's got an education, health and care plan if you have never looked at their plan? And yet a lot of secondary teachers are doing that on a daily basis. No comment. <laughs> so... You know that that I think is really important. The thing is, it, it's I think it is really hard because they have they'll teach a thousand pupils. It's, it's hard. It is hard. But the school have to make it a priority. Yeah. But I believe, and I, I do believe that if you do that bit of homework and you look at what that child needs and what you know what their their needs are, it will make your life easier as a teacher. It'll make your class because, everything easier. Yeah, because you can do your adaptations, you can do your adjustments, you can change your planning, you can look at how, what work you're giving them, you can look at how you're going to utilise any additional support you've got, and you go into that lesson prepared. Yep. You're not then going into that lesson and halfway through realise that those three children are just not engaged, they're not listening, they're actually causing you quite a lot of grief. Yeah. And then suddenly you've got a behaviour management issue, which is your fault. Yeah. Because you did not, as a teacher, you did not plan for those three pupils. Oh, no, that child chose to misbehave. No, they didn't. They are actually <laughs> bored, fed up, can't do it, don't know what to do. Or one of those. But also, because you've got those with the HCPs, you've also got those SEN support. In reality, yeah. every child in your class, generally, I'm not going to say not every child is naughty, but generally, children... Don't choose to be naughty. There's a reason no, behind it. It's a communication. It. They are tell trying to tell you something. And of course, if you end up with a bottom set, and you know, often NQTs end up with bottom sets, which is not really appropriate. You know, you have got a whole group of those because they'll either be AHCPs or they'll be SEN support, probably if they're in a bottom set. And so you have got to adjust your teaching to meet their needs. Yep. And you might have to teach Shakespeare and Macbeth or Romeo and Juliet or whatever, but you've got to find a way of teaching them at their level. And it's sometimes it's, some people hate silence. It's just sometimes it's little yeah. things. Yeah. So it's not always big. No. But it's just yeah. finding out some things, yeah. trying different yeah. things. And, and it might be something really stupid. Like, I mean, I remember at school, and this is going back many, many years, I hated sitting on the stools that you had in a science lab because there was no back in them. You know what I mean? And I just, I needed the comfort of having something behind me. And I used to hate science. And I'm sure it was because oh, I wasn't stool. comfortable on the on the particular seating that was in there. And it could be something just simple like that, you know, that they just can't be comfortable. And so if you're not comfortable, you stand up or you walk around or you run around or, you know, you misbehave. Because actually, I don't want to be in here. And if I misbehave, I'll be out. And every Thursday when you have that lesson, they're mowing the lawn outside and they're watching the lawn. Yeah, yeah the lawn mow. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so it's a minefield, but if you get it right from day one, it can actually really support teaching and learning, you know, through, for the whole year. What I think is happening a lot is that we are seeing more and more pupils in year seven and year eight who are so anxious, have got such difficulties mental health wise that they are now school refusing yeah. because they just can't cope with all of the pressures and nobody has actually supported them in the early days to combat some of those stresses and given them some strategies to help. I think it's um, that zero tolerance approach. Yeah, it it's just it's wrong. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, um, it doesn't help anyone. You have to make reasonable adjustments. Yeah. Uh, even in an office, everyone works slightly differently. Yeah. And actually, you know, there's been lots of stuff, hasn't there, in the, in the media about walking down in cor corridors in silence, you know, in rows. 
actually for an autistic child, that's probably the best thing that they could have because it's regular and they all do it. But actually for a child that's disorganized, you know, who suddenly thinks, oh, I just need to ask so-and-so and they speak, you know, when they're not supposed to, it's going to be horrendous. Their anxiety will go through the roof. Yeah, yeah, because they can't talk to somebody and they need to. But it, I want to make it very clear, it's not just secondary schools. Primaries have got a role to play as well and it has to be a two-way process. Primary is the one with all the information yeah. that can really help out. That's right. So it has to be... One's planning for the, the change, but the other one is preparing the way and, and supporting and paving the way, if you like, as they go forward. And it is, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's the parents, it's the pupils, it's that continual support. Because yeah. um, I know in, there are special schools where they've got the primary and the secondary. Yeah, it goes uh, right through. goes right through. The primary, they often have um, one teacher, so yeah. very much primary yeah. base, and the secondary, they have multiple. That's right. And I know a lot of schools see a huge drop in progress in that year seven. Mm. They're in the same school, the same yeah. uniform, lots of things, but they've just lost that yeah. one teacher yeah. they've got a relationship with now have six or yeah. seven. And that just takes them a yeah. while to adjust. Just, you know, that's the, the beauty of primary education is that it can be much more nurturing and it can be much more, you know, supportive of that youngster. It can also be very negative because you could have a teacher that you don't get on with or there's a personality clash and you've got that person for the year. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it isn't always um, you know, rosy. They can have sort of negative um, impact as well. But for most youngsters, it's it does work. Cool. So we've covered a lot. Yeah. I'm just looking at things we are going to talk about, and I think we've covered most of them. So, again, you've given me some list of uh, things to get where, where you can get support yeah. to help I'll, on I'll that send transition. Those to you after. And again, it always comes back to the same buzzword child centered. Yeah, yeah. And, and every teacher is a teacher of every pupil. So, every teacher's got to take their responsibility for that transition process once that youngster has moved into the new school. And I just think it goes back to when you are doing that transition, we've mentioned it a few times, but it is you give the folder, but also. Here's the highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. maybe a piece of their written work. So yeah. you have that expectations yeah. of this is what their writing's like. Yeah. Just things like that. So what is key? What is right now? What am I looking for? What yeah. am I expecting? Absolutely. How am I helping? Yeah. The less, the better in reality on that one. Oh, absolutely. Because as you said earlier, having a folder full of paper, it means nothing. And it will it will end up sitting in a folder or in a, in a filing cabinet that's not locked, so GDPR will go out the window. So actually, it's not a good idea. You know, that paperwork does need to go in a locked cabinet and yeah. just get left there because that's it's evidence. What what you need out is, is the day-to-day, -day, this is the immediate stuff that you need. And I think it's making sure you're given the pupils' confidence coming to the new school, the yeah. parents' confidence. Confidence, yeah. So their anxiety then doesn't press onto the that's child. Absolutely. And it's... I think, yeah, we did. my daughter did lots of taster days, whether it was a music, music maths day, yeah, yeah. or it was a competition, but it was going up to secondary school, yeah. just being in that sort of environment. She did it in different secondary schools. Yeah, because they, they do it across the feeders, yeah. And what was great then is she then saw what she liked about her school. Yeah. So it was a bit of a, yeah, oh, I quite like that like school. That. Yeah. Whereas if you just see one, yeah. you've got no comparison. comparison. Yeah. And there's also a lot of my other daughters transitioning this year. And literally on the day of the announcements, there was a Facebook group that year for the parents. Yeah. So bit, really quick, off the mark. Yeah. But they were then started organising sort of meet-up days. Yeah. And again, that's quite good, especially um, as you find out, if you do find out the tutor groups in July, yeah. what tutors there, and it's finding other children in that, that tutor in group groups, yeah. to come and meet your yeah. child and... You just and if you're if you've got a child that does lots of other things, so they go dancing or they you know do sport or whatever, it's, it it might be that they they they've got somebody that they do football with, but they don't go to school with. So yeah. you know you've got those connections as well. So and, which is always useful to know. Yeah, there's lots of things you can do. Things we did for my daughter even started primary school. We went to the school fair. Yeah. So in year six, if they've got events on, yeah, you can you can go, go along. To them. Yeah. And again, it just gets you used to the so school, school, your child yeah. used to the school. Yeah. Is there anything else we need to cover? I don't think so. I think I've covered everything that I wanted to. Yeah, and I've got some you know, there's some um, references to some other support material that we'll put on the on the pages. So a uh, big thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me. It's been really good. Lots of lots of things to think about. 
common sense most of it but it is it's making sure SEN is a priority and secondary yeah. I think it's easy well it's not easier but generally because it falls on one person mm-hmm. it's easier it's managing it in secondary is harder yeah. so as Absolutely. you said the Senko sends out the um, one page profiles and stuff to the staff but it's in this either this year head or the, the subject leads and making sure so, their yeah. departments are yeah. doing it so that they might see that as that's the Senko's role. No, it's yours. Yeah, it's- no, no, and and you know it is it is part of curriculum. You know, we need to make sure that every subject is accessible to everybody. Because in theory, they might need to make sure though that their teachers are confident at supporting yeah. and planning. And, and I've got the training to be able to, you know, put those adjustments in. Yeah. So all the, everything we'll be sharing, we've talked about, will be in the show notes. I'll be sharing Lorraine's contact details. So she does lots of training and support working with Senkos, local authorities and schools. And you can find the show notes on our website, which is www.thesencast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesencast.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with the latest news. And on the website, you'll also see there's all the buttons. When you go, if you listen to us through iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, please leave a review. If we get reviews, more people will find us. So also, you can share us on social media. So on Twitter, you can find us at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. Or if you're on LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast and you will find us. If you want to get in touch with us, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, give feedback, share your stories, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com and if you've enjoyed the Sendcast why not look into the virtual Send conference this is a conference that like the Sendcast is run by us at B Squared it's not about B Squared it's covering all aspects of SEND and what makes this conference different is that you access it across the internet you don't have to travel anywhere it comes to you we run it twice a year in March and November but it is available all year round because we record everything and put the videos up for you to watch whenever you want. So if you come to the conference in March and find some really good sessions you can then use those sessions in your staff training at the beginning of the school year. So you can buy tickets for future events or past events they're always available um, and the cost for each conference is £60 and this covers the entire school it's not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. So thank you from me for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. And thank you from me. And good luck in your transitions. Good luck. Goodbye. Goodbye.